Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 55. I'm Paul Shaughnessy on the line with Cody Saftik. Coming off the heels. I mean, for me, it was a 4-0 week. It was pretty good. Petrosky got the ball, the, ball, the ball rolling. Did I see a submission in round one coming? Uh-uh. So I'm not going to, like, victory lap so much on you. I thought that Petrosky, you know, putting in time with, like, a lot of the grappling and stuff, a lot of those grappling tournaments that that would set him up well for a fight with Maximov. I was thinking it was going to be more of like a decision based or, you know, just landing the better strikes on the feet. Sub one. I mean, I would have rostered him on DraftKings if I thought he was going to get a submission in round one. But uh, yeah, it was a good week for me. Obviously, Maximov uh, shits in the proverbial apple pie and uh, Rakic, poor guy. Uh, knee blows out, so it hurts your top ticket. But uh, that's the way that these games go, Cody. And and you put yourself in such a hard situation every single week. Like, I know I see some haters flooding in from time to time. And it's just like, who else out there has the cojones? I know I don't. To post, like, 11 to 15 leg parlays. It's like, there's a reason people don't do that. Because it's so incredibly difficult to hit. And you've hit it so many times over the years. I know that a good run is right around the corner for you. Yeah, well, all good hot streaks come to an end. All bad cold streaks come to an end. So, yeah, one of these weeks we got to hit it right. But at this point, it seems like a curse, man. I mean, if I, if I pick the fighter, they all of a sudden go out and don't throw any significant strikes for 25 minutes and just <clears throat> hand away a championship belt to a number six ranked contender. Interesting. If I pick you... You are prone to blow your leg out in a fight that you're otherwise probably winning 2 nothing. Uh, yeah, the bounces have certainly not been there. But I was happy to see you went 4-0 because at least one of us is giving away good advice. And on this card, it's an 11-fight card. It does not look pretty from top to bottom. And I've been trying to tell myself, don't top ticket women's MMA anymore. Don't top ticket heavyweights anymore. And we're in a situation right now where the biggest favorite on the card is a big old heavyweight and Holly Holm, 40 years old, ball in our main event. But looks good, doesn't she? So happy, as always, to uh, break it down with you and hopefully correct the wrongs. All right, let's get into the main event of UFC Vegas 55. We have Holly Holm taking on Ketlin Vieira. Holly Holm, a minus 240 favor. Vieira can be had for plus 195. Buyer beware right off the top of the show. I'm just going to be like level with you. I got a puppy last Thursday. And uh, a lot of, I'm learning a lot of my time management right now. Because, you know, most of the hours that I used to do a whole bunch of tape. Right now I'm chasing around this like maniacal, crazy energy puppy until like 11 o'clock at night. So... Um, yeah, right now, like, this is kind of a first look for me. I know that, uh, the people don't want to hear that, but, uh, later in the week, hopefully I'll be able to, like, dig in a little bit deeper. Uh, my initial thoughts on this one is, um, I like Holly Holm to win. Minus 240 scares me a little bit. Obviously, she's 40 years old. Um, but, like, I mean, she's still in damn good shape for her age. The volume's always there. Obviously, she's got a great striking game. Wrestling has improved year in and year out every single year. Um, I I don't know if I'm going to get to the money line, but what I have circled 
is uh, if Vieira shows up like she did against Yana Kunitskaya, I have some interest in just dropping just a little sprink, just a couple little sprinks on uh, home round four plus 2,500 and home round five like plus 3,000. Um, I feel like if she if Ketlin shows up like she did against Yana Kunitskaya, home could actually finish her late in this fight. Obviously, I'm going to watch the weigh-ins because... Ketlin Vieira missed weight for that fight with Yana Kunitskaya. Ketlin did not look like somebody who was able to go five five rounds in that spot. So, yeah, money line, don't love it. But Holly Holm, I think, gets the job done. And uh, probably going to get onto those sprinkles. But, uh, yeah, I'm obviously behind in my uh, my research by quite a bit. Quite a lot this week. What do you think about this uh, main event there, Matt? This main event matchup there, Cody? Yeah, well, they call Holly Holm the preacher's daughter. And I'd love to meet that preacher because I'm almost positive the dude sold his soul so that his daughter would not age. She's 40 years old and she's fighting her best fights. She has 38 pro boxing matches. 20 pro, this will be her 20th pro MMA fight. And yet, my God, it just seems like uh, every part of her game is a very high level. She was always known for her boxing, her kickboxing, you know, being able to keep range, being able to, you know, just have the volume and be in great shape and go five rounds. But yeah, maybe the wrestling was a bit of a bit of a chink in her armor, right? She goes in the Megan Anderson fight, striker versus striker, shows us the first real wrinkles of that wrestling game. Then you see in the Raquel Pennington fight, same thing, wrinkles of this wrestling game where Raquel's just not able to pin her up against the cage, right? She's not just that one-dimensional striker anymore. And then, of course, her last fight with Irene Aldana, it might be the best that she's ever looked, Paul. Five rounds, she lands 154 significant strikes, five takedowns, routes Aldana. It's a very clean performance. Holly Holmes, one of these people that is so professional. They're not wrecking their cards. They're not getting DUIs. She's just in the gym, in and out. She's always in great shape. And I think even at 40, she's still got that lateral mobility. She's still got that speed. And I think that's going to be huge here against a Ketlin Vieira, who's a little bit more plodding, a little bit slower. Uh, I believe it's back in the apex, right? So it is going to be small cage, mm-hmm. but I think that Holly Holmes got enough experience that she'll be able to dictate a lot of the ebbs and flows in the striking department. If she needs to rely on her wrestling, perfect. We can rely on the wrestling a little bit, right? Certainly to use that takedown defense to allow uh, Vieira to not take you down would be perfect. Let's keep this a stand-up match. But the volume should be there for Holly Holm. All day. And then the other thing is the five rounds. I mean, this is a situation where Holm has gone five rounds many of times. She's experienced. She's equipped. She can go there if need be. And she's going to thrive in those championship rounds. Whereas Ketlin Vieira looks like, you know, the Misha Tate fight, that was high volume. That was a five-rounder. She didn't look terrible there. But I think someone who's, you know, more willing to engage in a 25-minute striking battle and put up the volume that Holly Holm does should be able to pull it off. The thing with Ketlin Vieira is that I, I never been high on her. And again, if you just want to look at it on paper, very interesting though. So her first fight with Kelly Fasholz in the UFC, she, she got outstruck 44 to 13 against Kelly Fasholz and won a split decision over her. Fasholz obviously no longer with the promotion. Got outstruck, right? Her versus Ashley Evans-Smith. It's a very close decision, right? She nearly outstrikes Ashley Evans-Smith, who's no longer on the roster. The Sarah McMahon fight. She loses the first round very clearly, and then Sarah McMahon pulled one of those, you know, quit jobs in the second and gets submitted. The Kazangano fight. She gets outstruck 59 to 41 and squeaks up another split decision. At no point here has she ever really looked all that good. She's getting outstruck. She's got low volume. She gets the job done when need be. Against Irene Aldana, she gets immediately knocked out in the first round. Again, we've got five fights into the UFC. I'm not super high on Ketlin Vieira. 
Of course, then you've got the Eubanks fight where she got outstruck by Sinjara Eubanks. The Ke- the Yannis Kunikaya fight, which was a terrible fight, where she got outstruck 47 to 7. And then the Misha Tate fight, which interestingly enough, she did actually get outstruck 122 to 113. And so she actually gets outstruck. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and I remember watching that fight. I had money on Misha. God damn it. Same, same here. Uh, right. Just what, whatever. You don't get the bounce. You just, nah, sometimes you expect more than the person's willing to do. But I remember she got cracked in an early exchange and a, like busts her nose. And at that point, she's super tentative to like step in and engage. She still lands over 100 significant strikes. She still threw down. but She was super uncomfortable with just like, throwing combinations together and just, I, I don't know. The body language wasn't quite there. I feel like Holm is just going to stay to the outside. She doesn't need to bite down on her gum shield and go forward and blitz and try to set up a takedown attempt off a overhand right. She's just going to be able to play the range game, use the kicks, use the sidekicks, use the teeps, use all of those weapons that they're known for at Jack, Jackson Wink back when it was the golden era, right? Play that long game. She's always kind of had, I know people are going to laugh at this, like a John Joan S tour where, she can play to the outside and just avoid you all night and make you fight them. And that's a tough way, right? Ketlin Vieira, I think she's going to try to march forward. She's just going to be getting outstruck. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping the judges are smart enough to see one person's getting doubled up and Holly Holmes, the one throwing a lot more, landing more, landing the kicks, landing the punches. Cardio shouldn't be a problem. Stop the takedowns if need be. And, you know, Holly could mix one thing up. The last point, though, is that I'm on the same page with you. The money line looks a little bit deep here for a 40-year-old women's MMA fighter, but uh, but all the same, I'm willing to pay if I need to, but I'd like to improve it. And whereas normally I would just hammer up this Holly Holm by decision, I almost do get that bad impression, as you mentioned, that Holm could take her into the later rounds, four and five, and maybe put a, a little bit of more pressure on her and, and, and take her out that way. Aldana didn't have really the biggest punching power. wasn't known as a, pun- a power puncher, but when you get clean by an actual striker, it's a little bit different. Holm could take her in some deep waters and drown her that way, but I'm leaning towards the home home by decision. All right, we move on down. We've got uh, Michelle Pereira taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Michelle Pereira, minus 120 favor. Ponzinibbio can be had four plus 100. All lines from DraftKings Sportsbook. Of course, who you got here, Cody? Yeah, again, this is a straight-up 50-50. Like, I think the line's perfectly accurate. You can see both guys winning. Santiago Ponzinibbio at his best. Is going to have slightly more volume. He's a little bit more of a pressure guy. And I don't know, to me, at least, since he's come back from his eye injury, he just doesn't look like the same guy. Like, I'm not going to call him washed. I'm not going to call him over the hill. He's still fighting excellent level of competition and fighting them, you know, pretty competitively. He just doesn't seem like the same guy. Of course, when he came back, he gets knocked out by Jing Liang Lee first round. Striking didn't look good in that. His time didn't look in that. His rhythm didn't look good. But you give him a pass because it was such a big injury and it'd been off for a long time. Fair enough. But that Miguel Beza fight, Paul, Miguel Beza's not exactly that good. Not my opinion. Nope. He's, he's a front runner. You know, he's very athletic. He can touch you up in the first round. But, you know, he's in an absolute war with Beza where it's 1-1 going into the third. Both their legs are creamed up. They're both hurt. And Ponzinibbio does pull away and he, he wins that third round. He gets the fight. But especially in hindsight, it's like, eesh, you know, close fight. And then, of course, you see him in the Jeff Neal fight. Yeah, split decision, right? And you could score the first round for Ponzinibbio and the second round for Ponzinibbio. You could score the first round for Neal and the third round for Neal. It is a close fight. It is the kind of fight you would agree it's a split. But for my money's worth, Neal's just landing the better shots, the heavier shots. Like, it doesn't matter that Ponzinibbio is still, you know, going out there and letting his hands go and touching him up a little bit. The judges are going to see who's getting hurt, who's getting damaged, who's landing the bigger blows. And I felt like Neal did a good job of doing that. Certainly in the third when Ponzinibbio tires and uh, Neal lands that big combination near the end of the third round to seal it up for him. So 
I just think a guy that couldn't land those big shots, put a little bit of pressure on him, could do some damage. And I know with Pereira, he has the reputation of being just the shit-eating wild man, just going back. Nah, he's and he's going changed, bro. Kicks. He's changed. Yeah, exactly. Bro. Exactly. He was the worried about like, he was worried about losing his job. And I love the crazy, <laughs> the crazy yeah. Michel Pereira, but this version of him, the four fight winning streak where he's minding his P's ever since Diego Sanchez fight, really. Um, he mixes in some of the craziness just a little bit, but ever since that happened, he's just like, wait a second. My money comes in win bonus and regular purse. He's like, I'm throwing my money away if I'm putting myself in situations where I make like illegal strikes, obviously. So, uh, yeah, he's he's cleaned up his act a little bit. He's definitely cleaned up his act. And there was a time where he'd be like, there's no way he can fight for more than one round doing what he's doing. And then when he fought Tristan Connolly, that's exactly what happened. He fought one round hard. And then he completely faded, but he's done an excellent job of changing his style. And you see in the Zalima Medaya fight where he takes him deep into the third round, dominates him, takes him deep into the third. And then there's like 30 seconds left. He just picks him up, dumps him, takes his back, rear naked choke. Cardio checked out pretty good in that fight, right? The Chaos Williams fight, his ring IQ looked really good. He was getting out volume by Chaos Williams. He was getting touched up by the leg kick. He didn't really want to step in the pocket in exchange with a guy with fast hands and big power like Williams. So he mixed in the takedowns, right? He fought from the outside very well. He used a jab. It was like, okay, okay. Got some decent ring IQ. Cardio's not too bad. The Nico Price fight is so sloppy, man. So sloppy. But he but he kind of dicked around in that fight. He tried to get back to his roots. He did a backflip to try to pass guard on Price in the second round. Like, he did tire, and he got his ass kicked in the third round. But at least he took the first two rounds. Maybe a work in progress, fine. And then, of course, the last fight with Andre Fialo, like, they are just gunslinging. They're both landing, but Fiala's on short notice and Pereira just takes over. 107 significant strikes landed, you know, we took all of Fiala's best shots and marched him down. In the third round, this is like a who wants it more. Fiala's huffing and puffing, but he comes out hard to start the third and Pereira just meets him in the center of the octagon, pushes him back. Again, you look at it in retrospect, it's like, well, Fiala's won his last two fights since that fight. He's actually not a bad fighter whatsoever. It's just Pereira is fighting the proper game plans. He's pacing himself out. And now I think about the Ponzinibbio fight. I do think Ponzinibbio probably could outland him mm -hmm. ever so slightly. He is maybe that little bit of a longer guy. But if we want to talk about who's got the better chin, it is Pereira. It is. So if, if for whatever reason they are going to throw down and there's going to be this crazy moment in the fight, I think it leans towards Pereira. If you're just trying to back him up and touch him up the whole time, those big shots that he lands, that's going to be the deciding factor. He could mix in a takedown. He could out-wrestle him. His cardio seems good enough. I got to lean towards Pereira in this matchup, but I wouldn't fault anybody for going the other way. No. And it's a it's a close fight. It's a close fight. The oddsmaker's got a dead spot on, but I, I think I'm leaning towards Pereira just being able to put it all together a little bit better and just being fresher, right? Whereas, like I said with Ponzinibbio, go back to the Neil Magny fight, <laughs> he, he, he goes out there and he kills Pereira. But he's not the same guy since that Neil Magny fight, he took the time off. He had a bad injury. He's come back. He's a little bit older. I think he's susceptible to getting caught by somebody, and I think that guy might be Pereira. And I'm going to tell you, buddy. Pereira knockout. Plus 350. Now that he's slowed down his pace a little bit, we've seen Ponzinibbio's right. chin cracked by uh, Jing Liang Li and so on and so forth. Obviously, there, it, there's a very good chance this fight goes to the goes to decision don't get me wrong like it is minus money minus 150 to go to decision but i mean Pereira lands clean lands one of his crazy techniques 
We weren't getting Pereira by knockout at these prices before this more, you know, structured version of himself showed up. So I kind of was a little bit surprised by Pereira plus 350 by knockout. That may get some of my money heading in to this weekend's card. Moving on down, we've got Chidi. Chidi, <laughs> I'm not even going to try to say his nickname. Chidi and Jaquani taking, <laughs> taking on uh, Dusko Todorovic. Minus 220 for Chidi, plus 185 for Dusty Dusko. Who you got here, buddy? Okay, so speaking of that Andre Fialo, right? Fialo is a guy that washed out of Bellator and he washed out of PFL, couldn't even win an LFA, and then suddenly just ends up in the UFC and gave Pereira a solid go. And then goes out there and just absolutely melts his next two opponents. He knocked out Miguel Beza and then that Cameron Van Camp. That was that was bad matchmaking, man. Poor guy. Uh, serious talent. Serious talent. But why did it take him so long to realize that talent? I don't know. Cheaty's the exact same thing, man. You remember Cheaty? We mm-hmm. used to watch him on Bellator undercards, and he's so unreliable. He's a classic. Course, he was he was an an apple pie esser. Are we allowed to say that he, for your purposes? Yeah, yeah, of course. He was an, he was apple, an apple pie, pie shitter, shitter pretty much all the time. I'm sure, I'm only guessing. I don't know for sure, but when he got subbed in round one by John Salter, I imagine he dumped in an apple pie that day. Yeah, that was the thing. It was like he's the younger brother of Anthony Njikwani, the WEC veteran who had a brief stint in the UFC. Uh, Paul's first big Ben Fischel pick was over Anthony Njikwani. Uh, But a very tight, good Muay Thai fighter. And, and, and Chidi was the same thing, like a very technical, good Muay Thai fighter. Fought Simon Marcus to a draw and does have no ground game, right? So that was where he was getting exposed. Guys would take him down. Beyond that, his cardio is not all that good. Ground game is not all that good. Can't rely on his striking. Now he's hesitant to let his strikes go because he's so worried about getting taken down all the time. They don't do him a great favor when you consider Andre Korshkov is a, you know, he's a grappling wizard. You know, the guy's got the sign bow background. He's going to close the distance, grab a hold of you, toss you to the ground. John Salter was a former collegiate wrestler, BJJ Black Belt. Like, it's, they're not the most favorable matchups. Just Chidi couldn't come through. But at some point, the guy's been in the game for so long. He's fought so long, such a high level, trained at such a high level. He himself has worked on his own ground game. And he gets a black belt, right? That's kind of like, yeah, right. Chidi and Jaquani, the Muay Thai fighter, has got himself a black belt. And he lands himself on uh, LFA. He beats this Christian Torres. Mauls him. Looks really good. Fair. Weak opponent. So they give him this Mario Batista on the Contender Series. I've watched Chidi's entire career. That was the best he ever looked because his cardio looked on point, which it never does. And his ground game looked on point, which it never does. So we always knew he could strike, but he's getting way more comfortable in the elements of the game that always used to be his, his kryptonite. He shores that up. He fixes that up. He could be a problem. But never in my world, my wildest dreams, that I think he'd go out and knock out Marc-Andre Barrio mm-hmm. in his next fight in 16 seconds. Because Barrio's never been knocked out in his career. He's fought at 205 pounds against a guy like Todd Stout, who is a very thick, large man. Yep. Barrio's got a hell of a chin on him. He's known as just a grinder, gets in your face, pushes you back. But again, you see Chidi does have elite striking. He's got a ground game that is now caught up, maybe not as good as his striking, but is certainly, you know, caught up. And I'm really thinking that if that cardio is on point, this guy is really well-rounded himself out. Now, the thing with Dusko is he can push a pace too and has a decent ground game, but the guy has such an inability to move his head from the center line that 
he's just a sit and target man. He's just head always way up in the air. And he used to get away with it a little bit against these lower level guys. But you're seeing now he's getting caught and he's getting caught bad. His wins, of course, are low level guys. Well, I mean, he beat Michelle Pereira. This is a long time ago, five years in Korea, I believe it was. Or I was in Serbia, sorry, his own backyard. But in the UFC, right, a guy like Daquan Townsend, low level. The guy on the contender series, Teddy Ash, which, by the way, he got hit over 100 significant times by Teddy Ash on the contender series. But uh, Soriano, Soriano dropped him with pretty much everything that landed. He scores like three knockdowns. The ref just mercy stops it after a while because he's like, I can't let you just keep getting dropped like that. That was the first sign. Soriano, of course, heavy-handed, but Mm -hmm. he never moved his head once. It was just there. Even when he would get up, he's not hurt. He'd get up, he'd charge forward with his hands low and his head up in the air. Yep. So then that last fight with Gregory Rodriguez, or sorry, the Gregory Rodriguez fight, same thing. He gets touched up, gets out-grappled. But it's that win over Mackie Patolo. Sure, he got the win. He was getting lit up standing, man. Mackie was touching him up, better boxing, heads way up in the air. It's just a part of his game he hasn't been able to really uh, fix thus far, right? So even though his pace is okay and his ground game could help him out against a guy like Chidi traditionally, if Chidi stuffs the takedowns, better yet, if Chidi actually puts his black belt to good use and can hold his own in the grappling, his cardio checks out with his striking acumen and this guy's defensive liabilities, that's why the line's so big is yeah. everyone's expecting Chidi to just knock him out in the first round. So I think you take like the under one and a half. Chidi either does knock him out in the first round or this kid just withstands all the blows, gets a hold of him, tosses him down, causes him to overexert himself and catches up a submission. Like maybe it goes down like that. But I'm leaning towards the Anthony, or the uh, Chidi and Jaquani camp here where it's like he pro- probably is going to catch him. And I've been so impressed with the improvements he's made to his grappling and his cardio, even at 33. And if you ever heard the guy talk, it sounds like he's a pack a day smoker. Like, <laughs> he can fight 15 minutes. He's going to be a problem for a lot of these guys. So I got cheaty. He's just, even with that price tag, he's not a, uh, a first ticket top guy, right? Yeah. He hasn't proved that he's not still that apple pie shitter from the past. It's that and- he's on a little bit of a run right now. And there is a bit of a path to victory for Dushko. If Dushko has, like, Dushko has shown the ability that if he's able to take guys down and get top control, he's he's, he's a, a problem. He's yeah. a problem. But I don't know if this is the spot, and I don't rate Dushko's wrestling like that well. I don't. I think somebody with you know the same type of game plan, but just better wrestling, would cause problems for Chidi. I was originally kind of like, man, this line's getting out of out of line. You're, you're talking a lot of sense into me. The under seems like a half-decent play. I don't love one-and-a-half totals. Um, but, yeah, Chidi probably touches him up, lands a big strike at some point in the first two rounds, and there, and there she blows. But, uh, yeah, Chidi will be the pick for me. Hate the money line at minus 220. Moving on down, we've got Tabitha Ricci taking on Pollyanna Vienna. Uh, Tabitha Ricci, a minus 125 favorite. Uh, Vienna can be had for plus 105. Absolutely foxy boxing here, buddy. Uh, people, are, <laughs> people are drawing their line in the sand. Um, I think, the, without a doubt, the answer is Pollyanna Vienna. Like, she's an actual, like, if you go on her Instagram, that girl is an absolute smoke show. Um, but yeah, we're talking about fights here. Get your mind out of the gutter, kid. Um, I think Ricci should have the wrestling to keep this fight upright. She should have the grappling, training with, 
you know, Mackenzie Dern and all of those, that if she goes into Viana's guard, that she won't get, um, that she won't let herself get armbarred or something like that. Vienna is very, very crafty off of her back. It is definitely a risk, but I think Ricci is the side here. What about you? Yeah, I'm the exact same camp here. I think uh, Paula Viana, Pollyanna Viana is another one of these fighters that I've just never really been high up on, but I think she is generally in these low-level contests where the armbar is going to be made available, and she's done a good job of snatching it up. She was billed as BJJ champion, right? She's a BJJ world champion. If she gets you on the ground, you're in serious problems. But you look at that three-string of losses. It makes absolutely no sense. The J.J. Aldrich fight, she gets her down in the first, right? But then after that, can't take her down at all. When she did get the fight to the ground, BJJ wasn't all that good. And then by the end of it, just exhausted, no wrestling, jiu-jitsu's out the window. The Hannah Cyphers fight, she, she couldn't take Hannah Cyphers down right? She got bullied and beat up standing and knocked down by Hannah Cyphers, ultimately losing a decision. And then Veronica Macedo is like, uh, I believe it's Taekwondo, it might be karate, but she is a striking art, undersized for the division, not known for her grappling, and, and she got armbarred from guard by Veronica Macedo. So like, how good really is she? But then against Emily Whitmire, which of course the kids call her Emily Shitmire, not me, not me, <laughs> but that's what they call her on the streets, Paul. She armbars her from guard. And then, of course, the Mallory Martin fight is the same thing. They just they, they snatch up these quick arm bars. Tabitha Ricci, BJJ black belt, also like a competition black belt, someone that's competed at a decent enough level. They don't expect her to just get caught by some cheeky arm bar. As far as the striking goes, I would lean towards Tabitha Ricci. I think she's got a little bit better uh, physically, a little bit stronger maybe. Wrestling, a little bit better. The, the biggest problem that I saw with Ricci is that when she made her debut against Fioro, she's A, on short notice, B moved up a weight class and C taking on like a future title contender, yes. like yeah, absolute stuff. savage, absolute savage. So she jumps up, she's five foot one, like she's so small at Wayne's, you just know something bad's gonna happen. She gives it a valiant effort in the first, ultimately gets TKO'd in the second. Yeah, that next fight against Maria Oliveira, you see her in her proper weight class, right? You see her with a better camp, five takedowns in that fight. Striking looked on point. The problem was the longer the fight went, her cardio wasn't all that good. Mm -hmm. What she looked like in the first compared to the second, and then in the second compared to the third, the cardio didn't check up. But I, I keep telling myself, here's a young fighter who's, she's, I think she's 25, 26 years old. She's got almost no pro fights. She's, what, five and one, six and one. Six and one. Pro, ten fights. Still young. Trains at a high level. Has that jiu-jitsu. She's just not comfortable in an actual fight scenario quite yet. But getting three rounds your last time out, good. And you saw how good she looked early. Eventually, she's going to be able to keep up that pace for a few rounds. And, and I'm hoping that's the case here against Vienna. I think she goes out there. She could outstrike her. She could take her down. She could, if she does take her down, of course, stay out of the arm bars, but just stay heavy on top, win those exchanges, win two rounds, even if you gas out in the third, don't get finished by Vienna and, uh, and win this decision. So uh, do you love it? Maybe not. Maybe not. But I think the pick for me is Tabitha Ricci. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. It's not often you get 30 to 1 odds on any basketball team to win their next playoff game. That's some great value. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Head to the app to check out our picks. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Bet just $5 on any pro basketball team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, we got Eric Anders taking on Jun Young Park. Park, the Iron Turtle, is a minus 205 favorite. Anders can be had for plus 160. What's your take here, buddy? Well, the Iron Turtle, I don't know if he's going to lose that nickname. Exactly. He did finally get broke the last time for Gregory Rodriguez, and he, he really did it to himself. You watch back that fight, and uh, thank God I had Rodriguez. It would have been the most frustrating thing in the world to be a park better because he's got this guy dead to rights served up on a platter and instead of just like picking him off and putting him away he just charges face first and just starts eating punches and gets the lights turned out so is his ring iq there no perhaps not is that legendary durability still intact like i don't know maybe i don't feel great about it the only way you lose to eric anders is maybe if you make some bonehead decision because the guy still does have i guess i guess some power He's not really known for his big knockouts, but still he's like a big enough, strong enough guy that you wouldn't want to just leave your hands down and step in the pocket. But I like what he brings to the table. I think he's got better pace. I think he's got a better ground game. Eric Anders is such a 50-50 fighter. I mean, of course, great athlete, guy that won a national championship as a football player with Alabama for transitioning. But how, how often or how many times can we talk about his great athleticism? How many times can we talk about like the what ifs? How many times can we talk about, oh, well, he finally went to fight ready in Maine. He's finally got a better camp around him. He's a 50-50 fighter. If he shows up, the guy's got some talent. But most of the time, well, at least 50% of the time, half the time, he doesn't show up. When he doesn't show up, it's, it's extremely frustrating. Again, you could talk about his last number of fights, but the, the biggest thing in all of them is look at when he does go the 15 minutes against Darren Stewart the last time out, 44 significant strikes. Well, he had to he had, that against Chris Jotko. Go ahead. He had to get eye-poked in that fight. <laughs> to actually turn on the burners in round three and secure the victory. Cause like, oh, that, I know. that was the re that was the, the rematch after like the, the no contest, of course. So we all, yeah, I think they laid like minus 150. We all loaded up on Eric Anders. And it's like, he started letting that fight go away. It's just like, man, if you put the pace on Darren Stewart, you already proved it in the first time around. You put the pace on this guy, he's going to wilt. And he didn't, he had to get poked in round three to be like, oh, wait. If I just go after this, that's the problem with Eric Anders. It's just like he seems to have like momentary lapses in his uh, in his fights. He just doesn't he doesn't bring the pace, bring the pressure. I think he's fighting so far below his abilities every single time he goes out there. So I understand why the price is the way it is. Sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to get that in before no man all all extremely excellent points that's the thing with him is that he's to me he's super low volume and you just you can't trust him the darren stewart fight is the most perfect example because he fought the guy and wrecked him Mm -hmm. right knocks him down beats him pillar to post first camp of fight ready everyone's like eric anders finally realizes potential ah no contest because of the knee let's just run it back let's just run it back and he looked awful he looked awful in the rematch no explosiveness no no desire to go out there and put hands on him knowing that what you can do to this man if you put your foot on the 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 pedal or sorry your foot on the gas a little bit no no just non-existent in the third round he grinds him up against the cage you know gets the victory but it's weak and 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 it's a it's a whole history of that right because he had fought leota machida 2018 and you are on leota machida i'm on eric anders the fight's in brazil but I'm like, nah, my guy Anders. And I remember after the fight, you're like, dude, I think you got robbed in Brazil. I think Eric Anders might have won that fight. But it was true then. He got outstruck 62 
to 32 in that fight. Tim Williams fight. He was lost the first two rounds, got outstruck by Tim Williams, and then got him. Of course, Tiago killed him, right? But it was 100 to 32. Elias Theodoro in Toronto, okay? He loses the first round because Elias just stays at the outside and touches him up, okay? The, the fans are booing. It's a terrible fight. Eric Anders drops Elias, knocks him down. Elias pops back up. The place goes wild. Even though we're cheering for Elias, he's the Canadian guy. They all just want to see him get knocked out at this point. It's a terrible fight. Anders drops him and then stares at him and yep. two steps forward, two steps forward. No urgency. You're losing this fight, dude. You need to do something. This is your moment. No, 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 no. Happy to get outstruck. Got outstruck by Jared Mearshart. Got outstruck 60, or 72 to 64 against Mearshart. Doesn't outstruck anybody for the record. Uh, got outstruck by Jotko, 66 to 41. Uh, his last number of fights, it's the same thing. And then, of course, against Andre Muniz, he just got taken to the ground and armbarred. Uh, that one's a little bit different. Muniz, third degree BJJ black belt. Don't go to the ground with him. But, of course, his lackluster wrestling still good enough to take down Eric Anders, and that's all he needed. So what do you like about Eric Anders? He's not knocking fools out. He doesn't have some tremendous power. He's getting outstruck by nearly everybody. He has no volume. His takedown defense is really not all that good. His submission defense, I'll give him a pass because it was Andre Muniz. But he's not elite in any one level. He's quietly exited the prime of his career and is a little bit older now. And he just never really seems like he's got the desire to get in there and mix it up. But as I say that, and with my current run of luck, he might just step in there and knock out Jung Young Park just to make me feel bad. <laughs> but uh, I, I got to go with the logical thinking here. And the logical thinking is Park's just going to come forward, back him up, outland him, hopefully not get caught by anything, and then uh, slowly just grind away and route to what I believe would be a decision but I might just be inclined to take up the straight-up money line and avoid a prop on this one. I'm with you on that one, bro. All right, we move on down. This one's uh, this one's real dicey. Um, but maybe you can help me make some sense of it. We got Joseph Holmes taking on Alan Amadovsky. Minus 190 Holmes, plus 160 for Amadovsky. Hoy. I mean, uh, the best work that you see from Joseph Holmes is on the ground. My question for you is, like, what is Am- Am- Amadovsky's grappling game like? I know he got j- knocked out in 14 seconds by, uh, by John Phillips last time out, which is massive, massive red flag. But, uh, yeah, like, I-, I don't really rate Holmes' stand-up all that much. Like, he's going to be bigger, longer in this matchup, but he seems very, very green on the feet. Can Amadovsky stuff takedowns? Can Amadovsky, if they go to the mat, can he can he grapple with them? I'm not so sure. I just don't have the answers on Amadovsky. He looks straight up horrible, but Holmes isn't exactly some sort of world beater either. So I'm really struggling with this one. What's what's your take here? Yeah, well, the reason why you're struggling most on this one is that unknown of like, well, Amadovsky is terrible, but <laughs> he's been off for three years. So like, is it... Is it at least somewhat possible that he's made some improvements to his game over the last three years? Like, yeah, he's 34, so I wouldn't consider him in his prime. But, yeah, he could have made some improvements. But, man, what is there to go off of with this guy? I mean, you used to see him back in the day with Bellator and whatnot. He'd step forward. He'd let his hands go. He was a strong Macedonian guy. But the results haven't been there in the UFC. And and here's the thing. So the Christoph Jocko fight. Jocko, who doesn't generally get his takedown attempts, uh, completely ragdolls him. Looks like Polish Jordan Burroughs out there. And uh, he's got no ground game. He's got no takedown defense. Jocko doesn't even need 10 takedowns. He just needs one in every round because Alan Dobsey's got no real get-up game. Gets controlled up against the cage. Bad performance. It's the John Phillips fight. Like, who in their right mind would ever fight John Phillips and be like, 
I'm gonna stand in the center <laughs> of the cage. Like, 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 what are you, what are you possibly thinking to yourself, man? They used to call him, not me. They used to call him the White Mike Tyson for good reason. He's got no ground game, but the guy can absolutely crack. So again, Amandowski steps in the middle there and just gets busted up. Then you've got three years off, right? During those three years, they tried to book him against Bavon Lewis, but he pulled out. They tried to book him against Yao Zong Wu, which you would think would be the fight you'd really want, right? Mm-hmm. And again, he pulls out the first time. They try to rebook it a second time. He pulls out that one as well. So it's not as if he's like been off for a reason other than he's been hurt. They've been trying to book him. He's just, the fight's never come to fruition. He's 0-2 in the UFC. He's not won any striking exchanges. He's not stuffed any takedowns. He's not done anything of note. He's just completely smoked out. Does not look like he should be in this organization. And now three years later, they've dusted him off the shelves and brought him back over. Like a little bit suspect. So there's red flags all over it. Enough that I don't think you could back the guy. But enough that you maybe don't pull the trigger as much as you want on Joseph Holmes. But to be honest with you, I'm going to give Holmes a couple passes here. So one, again, he's only 26. I do expect actual development out of him, actual changes. But he's not terrible. Like, he's six foot four with an 80-inch reach, okay? So he's going to have a six-inch height advantage over Alan Dovsky. He's big. He's going to have a six-inch reach advantage over Alan Dovsky. It's going to be huge. It would mean more if they were in a bigger cage than it would in the small little apex. But again, he's not bad in the clinch either. He's got excellent knees. His work rate's not terrible. I think he almost got put in a bad situation where you see him on the contender series against Shantae Barnes, okay? <laughs> he looked awful in the first round. Woof. But in the second round, you know, he perseveres a little bit. He puts Shantae Barnes in a bad spot. He submits him. Ground game doesn't look bad. Did lose the first round to a 40-year-old Shantae Barnes. They don't sign him, okay? So one month later, and like five weeks later, he fights this Jonathan Patty. You just find Dana, two good rounds, you win. Five weeks later, he fights Jonathan Patty, and then he takes the Jamie Pickett fight on short notice. Jamie Pickett's not supposed to fight him on that card. He was initially scheduled to fight Kao Barahao, which, <laughs> good thing he pulled out that fight. Whoa. Yeah, but instead you draw Joseph Holmes, who effectively is, this is his third fight in a three-month span, right? He just fought, uh, he looked not bad in the first. And then what happens in the second, he just gasses out. And Jamie Pickett's very easily able to just neutralize him up against the cage. So this fight, he's got a full camp, right? He's not just competed. He doesn't have those little nagging injuries. His cardio should be better. His striking, I think, is going to be longer ranger, a little more technical than mm-hmm. Alandowski's. I think his ground game is better than Alandowski's. And the one flaw that he really showed against Pickett, which is like he had no ability to get his back up against the cage, can Alan Dovsky really rough up against a guy against the cage for no. 15 minutes? Like he's never shown that in any of his fights. No, he likes he's... to fight in the open space, back you up and, and, and chuck bombs over the top. So the longer guy should intercept him. He could catch him up with the knee up the middle. He could maybe take him down. He could wear him out a little bit. Multiple passive victory, I think, for Joseph Holmes, but we need to put a little faith in him, right? And again, at 26, and I think he's still with James Krause, I, I think that those improvements are going to eventually materialize. And Alan Mandovsky is a good opponent to test some things out. So I think he gets the win here. All right, we got Jailton Almeida taking on Parker Porter. Biggest favorite on the card, Jailton Almeida, minus 550. Parker Porter can be had for plus 400. The interesting thing about all this, obviously, Jailton Almeida is a, a 205er. He's coming up to heavyweight. He was supposed to be taking on Max Grishin at light heavyweight, I guess, in this spot. And he's just like, I want to fight. This guy is an absolute 
unit. Like he looks like a big time problem, definite interesting prospect at 205 pounds. And I see a lot of people talking about like, well, he's moving up to heavyweight. It'll be interesting, one, to see what Jailton Almeida looks like on the scales on Friday. Like what what his weight is, how big he is. Cause like you look at their actual frames. Jailton Almeida is six foot three with a 79-inch reach. Parker Porter, six feet tall, 75-inch reach. It's like if and like who am I? Who am I to judge Cody? Like, look. I wear black t-shirts for a reason. Don't get me wrong here. Um, uh, Parker Porter is a light heavyweight. If if he had like, you know, a slightly different diet plan, something like that. So it's like, I'm not so worried about the size here. Um, the, I guess the big concern maybe is Parker Porter comes in super, super heavy It's going to be hard for a guy like Almeida to hold somebody down who's that thick. I get all of those things, but I think there's an absolute smash job here. I think Jailton Almeida is the truth. Minus 550, though. Oh, boy. That is, they're they're making you pay the price. I don't think I'm going to get to it from a betting perspective. I imagine he ends up relatively high up your parlays. Uh, And even him inside the distance is like almost like minus 300. So it's like... Uh, the the book's got this one right. I like Jailton Almeida, but they're really pricing me out of this situation. What's your take here? Yeah, I don't know if the books do have this one right. Like, oh. I think we can all agree that, well, Jailton Almeida looks like a future world champion, right? I think we can all agree how much we all seemingly admire this guy. He's built like a goddamn G.I. Joe action figure, and he's got the skills to boot. How many guys go and take on a tough Russian guy and toss them to the ground and put a beating on them? Like, what's there not to like about this guy, right? But... I think we're all in agreement that he's got that world championship potential at 205. We really know, first of all, how he's going to translate to a heavyweight. There's the other issue, right? Is that if you look at his fight with Nasruddin, uh, Nasruddinov, uh, Nasruddinov, right? He weighed in at 203 pounds on the dot. Yeah. 23, 203. Then he fights Daniil Marquez and he weighs 203 on the dot. Interesting. So both times he comes three pounds in under the 205 pound limit. So making 205 is, is no issue for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and then you've got his look at his topology, right? So he beats Daniel Marquez and then he enters some Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu competition, right? He beats the Sacasio de Santos guy in the first by escape time, which means nobody won the match. And then they go to, you know, guy starts on your back, whoever escapes fastest, whatever. He wins it by escape time. But then he loses to this Rene Pessoa by first round rear naked choke. This Rene Pessoa guy fights at 185 pounds. He's like a well-traveled Brazilian middleweight. So I I, I almost feel like we're in love with Jolton Almeida because of how he looks. And I think if he would have actually fought Maxim Grishin, this is the price tag that they should have used for the fight with Maxim Grishin. He killed Grishin, right? Ripping him to the ground, put an absolute beating on him. But he's not just moving up to heavyweight and taking on OSP or something he's who's another 205 or that yeah he's taking on the guy that comes in at 263 263 264. exactly yep yeah the, the guy the guy in theory might cut a few pounds to get down to the weight class so he's really long cuz he's a thick he's a he's a butterball turkey is what he is he's a butterball turkey absolutely is now when i look at Jolton Almeida these are these are his last number of fights okay so his last fight first round submission or first round TKO right the one prior the second round rear naked choke Minute 49 into the second. Prior to that, first round rear naked. First round triangle, or arm triangle. First round TKO. Oh, second round, 151 into the round. Prior to that, 234, first round. 205, first round. 230, first round. 126, 
of the first round. Oh, he went to decision. There we go. Oh, but he lost that fight. That's interesting enough. Interesting enough. Everything else is these first-round finishes. They're all first-round or early second-round finishes, all of them. So we, we like this guy, but red flag number one is he's going from light heavyweight to heavyweight. Mm -hmm. Red flag number two is the heavyweight that he happened to draw is, is a very large heavyweight by the weight structure. Problem number three is Jolton Almeida has looked awesome for the early portions of rounds, but if he happens to get drawn out the, into a later he's fight, he's going to get tired Parker pushing Porter, around. He's going to yeah, get tired pushing around that extra weight. If your path yeah, to victory exactly. is wrestling, we've always said this over the years. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I can't get to the minus 550. It's a middling heavyweight fight. We think Joel Tolomeda has world-class potential maybe at 205, but as far as heavyweight, we've never seen him here. He's he's would be considered middling, right? And with mm -hmm. Parker Porter, the one thing that he's done an excellent job in, in his last couple of fights is he'll push a tremendous pace for a heavyweight, and he just lands volume galore. Like, that's not something that you really expect to see out of guys. His last fight with Alan Bodo was, was a terrible, terrible performance. The ones prior against Chase Sherman, 149 landed. The one against Josh Breeze, 126 landed. It's a lot of volume for a big guy. So, you know, is there not a world that exists where Jelton maybe goes in there, grabs a hold of him, rips him to the ground, yeah. Parker Poor is able to survive, and then in the second round, he's a little more tired. The bigger guy's starting to work his way back into it and touches him up. Like, I think it's all, it's all possible. Now, I like Almeida. I do. It's just the price tag is you would have to love Almeida. Don't know that I, I love him. Don't even particularly really like him. I just see so many red flags here. Parker Porter is like the unsexiest guy on the roster. And he's maybe taking on the sexiest guy on the roster. So, so like, uh, I get that everybody wants Almeida to win. And I agree that I, I think he can win. But this price tag, I'm just seeing too many, too many issues. So, you know, this is the kind of guy that I am going to use on parlay somewhere because I have to use everybody on the parlay eventually. So, how much faith do you have in him? I, I don't know. He's the biggest favorite on the card. I don't know that he's my biggest favorite on the card. Parker Porter, by decision, is plus 1,400. It's not even a – yeah, that's – and it's feasible. I know like, Jailton doesn't usually go to decision, but if you go back to 2018, which doesn't seem that long ago, he's 30 years old, and he lost by decision in Shudo Brazil to Bruno Assis. Like 2018. That's what? Yeah. Four, yeah. four years and, ago. And, and – and Bruno Assis, for the record, fights at 185 pounds. Yeah. So, so you know what I mean? There's, eh, there's something that can If I'm going to get a little bit greasy, Parker Porter by decision, plus 1,400. Like, there's – it may look absolutely stupid, but when you're going to bet things like minus, or plus 1,400, it's like you have to be willing to look absolutely dumb to even cash those types of situations. So, um. Yeah, you definitely talk, talk to me even. F you're starting to convince, even though you're still picking Almeida, you're starting to convince me, the value boy, the guy who is looking for all of these, uh, you know, the plus money props and stuff like that. Now I'm starting to go down this route. Uh, we'll see where I end up. I'm going to watch the weigh-ins before I do anything with this fight. I want to see what Jailton, what he comes in at, what he looks like. Because, yeah, the 203 thing is kind of interesting, too. It's like, how big is this guy? How, why is he cutting all that extra? Jack, why is that. He but, yeah, one's got to wonder. The last thing would be... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would think... <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I don't know. It looked like it just conked out or something there. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean... I He's obviously a big, large guy, but his initial plan wasn't to fight at heavyweight. I think it was to fight at 205 against Max Christian. 
Remember when OSP did the same thing? They were just like, oh, here's a 205 fight. And then it fell off. And they were like, well, do you want to fight Ben Rothwell? And he was like, sure. But Ben Rothwell's not your typical heavyweight. He's a 265-pound heavyweight. They're much larger. You know? So that took it out of him. But but what I will leave you with is this might be an excellent live betting spot. Because Jolton might just dice him out in the first round. Completely possible. I think we can all agree on that. Could happen in the first round. If it doesn't happen in the first round, that's when I think you might get an even better price on Parker Porter. And him not getting finished in the first round, I think it would be, would would show that, yeah, maybe he can. It's just he looked so bad against Alan Bodo. If he shows up that version again, you know, he's going to be in trouble. But, well, yeah, weigh-ins will be important. Yeah, Bodo was another 205-er that he took on in that spot. Um yeah. Parker Porter's getting all getting all the little guys. All right, we got Omar Morales taking on Euros Medic. Omar Morales, a minus one forty five favorite. Medic can be half a plus one twenty five. What do you think about this one, Bed? Yeah, so I mean, you and I have a little bit of rule. Guys that fight in Alaska FC just can't uh, just no. can't roster them. Friends up, don't right? let doesn't friends. usually. Yeah, that very true. Friends don't let friends bet on guys that fought in Alaska FC. It doesn't usually go well for them. There's a few exceptions to the rule, I think, but. You know, I, I don't know. Things haven't gone too good. Euros Mendes is one of these guys that look tremendous on that regional scene where he's smoking guys that have a 1-4 record, an 0-1 record. Even the guys that had good-looking records have been built by fighting guys with bad-looking records. So it, it wasn't super high level. The issue is that everything's super fast, right? First round triangle choke, 51 second into the second round TKO. Another triangle choke, first round. Another TKO, first round. You see him on the contender series against Mikey Gonzalez. It's pedal to the metal. He comes forward. He lets his hands go. I wouldn't say he's not dangerous. He is dangerous. I just don't think this guy can actually keep it up. So he knocks out Mikey Gonzalez in the first. He comes out in the UFC debut against Elon Cruz. Same thing. Elon Cruz is kind of susceptible to getting caught. He kind of finds a little bit of a, keeps his head a little bit high in the air, tries to fight long. Knocks him out in the first round. And at this point, it's like, man, this guy's got some, you know, big power. He backs guys up. He's talented. And then you get the Jalen Turner fight. Now, as it so happens, Jalen Turner is a stud. This kid has got a very, very promising future. Mm -hmm. So you can't take too much from Euros. But he looked like a fish out of water once that fight hit the ground. Even standing, just like the range management. He's a little bit green still. He's a little bit wild. I know he left Alaska and went down to King's MMA. I know he's improved a lot. And to me, it seems like if you can draw this guy out in the first three or four minutes, that's when you're going to start to take over on him. Pretty much everything in his career is the first round. He's been to the second round one time, his entire career, 51 seconds into the second round in Alaska. So he doesn't have any of that deep experience. So what he's going to rely on is bum-rushing guys. Bum-rushing guys, taking them out early. Against Omar Morales... I would say good luck. He seems quite durable, to be perfectly frank with you. Uh, the guy went 15 minutes with Giga Chikots. He got dropped a number of times in that fight. He persevered. In the Jonathan Pierce fight, it was more so the grappling and the pace and putting pressure on him. But I'll tell you something, right? Omar Morales wins his first, He wins on the Contender Series right against Harvey Park at 155 pounds. He knocks him out. Look really good. Makes his debut in the UFC at 155 pounds, right? Dropped Dung Young Ma ultimately settled for decision victory, looked quite filled out. He fought Gabriel Benitez. This was his best performance in the UFC. He weighs 155 pounds. The guy's undefeated, 10 and 0, 155 pounds. Drops down to 145 pounds. Can't figure it out. He's 34 years old and undefeated. But he dropped down to 45 and he looked like shit against Giga. He looked okay against Shane Young, much better. But it was a tough weight cut for him. And then the Jonathan Pierce fight, he completely gassed out. Those three fights are at 45. 
This fight here against Euros, he's back at 55. I bet you it makes a difference. Of course, he's at Stanford MMA, Henry Hoofencast. Just every week you see top world-class guys coming out of the gym. He's going to be in great shape. Being at 155 pounds back at 55, I think he'll be filled out. His ability to take a punch even better, even though it was good to begin with. I think you'll see a little more output out of him. And I just feel like this is where he should be at, right? He's got enough durability that Euros is going to come out, fast start, get the jump on him, maybe land a few, but he's going to eventually get his respect and get out of the first round. Once he does one of those two things, he's either going to knock him out, get his respect, or the first round he get out of it, he's just going to eat this guy up, light kicks, one-twos, light kicks, one-twos. Euros will start to fade. They'll get a little bit erratic. They'll get a bit, a little bit reckless. And we haven't seen Morales' big power in a while. But I got to wonder if maybe it was the weight cuts. He's 36 years old. Like, he's not a prospect. He's an aged man by the time he signed to the UFC. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't know why he dropped down to 45. But I'm actually expecting to see a little bit better version of him here. And I think a slightly better version of him here gets the win against Euros Medic. So expect maybe a hectic like first two or three minutes. And then I eventually Omar Morales to uh, hopefully take over. All right, that makes sense to me. Moving on down the card, we've got Jonathan Martinez taking on Vince Morales. Uh, Martinez, a minus 220 favorite. Morales can be half a plus 180. A penny for your thoughts, kid. I feel like this is the apple pie shitter. I feel like Ooh. I would love to have Jonathan Martinez, right? Who wouldn't have Jonathan Martinez? When you visualize the fight, this is actually really good for Martinez. What you see in Vince Morales is he's got really susceptible to the low kicks, right? If you look at the Benito Lopez fight where he got robbed, but he got landed like, I think Benito Lopez landed 39 leg kicks, hobbled him up. The Chris Gutierrez fight, Chris Gutierrez lands 36 leg kicks, TKOs him with the leg kicks. It's always on display. So the next two guys, Draco Rodriguez and Luis Smolka, neither guy are kickers, right? So that, that all of a sudden wasn't on the table for them. He looks a lot better in those circumstances. Jonathan Martinez is rangy, likes to stay on his back foot, likes to pivot, likes to circle, and loves to kick. I think the leg kick game plan will 100% be on the table for him, and he could be able to utilize it. There's a, there's, there's a problem with Jamar, though. It's like Jamar is not that durable. Maybe he's just waiting to get conked, but there's, some, there's, something about, there's something about him, man. I don't know. Again, you look at the Davy Grant fight. He wins the first round. And the second round, he just steps in the pocket. He gets clubbed with a nice right hand, and he gets knocked out. Davy Grant, seemingly heavy-handed these days. Um, but it was a fight that he was winning, and then he just made one mistake in. And then that Alejandro Perez fight, his last fight. The first round, he wins every part of it until the 10-second clapper. He, I don't know, tries to throw a knee up the middle and gets conked by Perez. And he hits the ground again. He, he puts himself in bad spots where he is capable of fighting a clean fight, is that he generally doesn't fight a clean fight for 15 minutes. He'll make these momentarily la- this momentary uh, momentarily lapses in the, in the rounds, and when he does make a, that one tiny mistake, his opponent generally capitalizes on it. Vince Morales has just cost me a ton of money. Can't get a beat on this guy, right? I thought he'd lose the Eamon's a hobby fight, but he's uh, a banger. He went out there. He's yeah, a banger. Yeah, he went out there and he can do everything. He can actually wrestle. He can strike. He's got a, a, a nasty right hand with some underrated power in it. He comes forward. He mixes it up. He never gets smoked in any fight for the most part. Maybe the Gutierrez one, but he's always in it. The guy is a total gamer. and I don't know, man. He's sticking the course, and he's making me pay. Again, you look at the wins. I didn't think he'd beat the uh, win against the hobby. Benito Lopez, he got robbed in that fight straight up. Rod- Draco Rodriguez, he just backs him up, You know, does exactly what he needs to do, fights a very clean fight. And then the Lewis Smolka fight, he knocked, he's the first guy 
was the first guy. David Grant ended up doing it, but it knocks out Lewis Smog with just a killer right hand. He's making improvements. He's doing a decent job of himself. So I think Martinez plays Matador, stays to the outside, chips away at kicks. Morales is eventually going to step in the pocket and bomb him with something. And he's durable surprised. enough that he can take the kicks and keep coming forward. And he generally fights as a decent enough underdog. His last time out, he's a plus 145 underdog. He cashes. The one against Draco Rodriguez, he's even money. He cashes. The fight against Eamon Zahabi, plus 150, he cashes. He comes in as the underdog and he gives a good account of himself. Now, some people will be like, oh, well, you know, what about uh, Chris Gutierrez's fight? Chris Gutierrez is actually very talented. We can all agree about that. He's like a fringe 15 guy. Okay, fair enough, right? Benito Lopez, he got robbed in that fight. Should have won mm. that one. And then the other one's Song Yudong, which you won't rewatch. It's pretty competitive. And, and Song Yudong is an stud. absolute. Yeah. So what is what's Vince Morales ever done wrong? Like, what where has he wronged us? Why, why don't people like this guy more than they do? Just yeah, something fair. unsexy about him. He doesn't have the sexiest style going. So part part of me thinks that Jay Mar just stays to the outside and chips away. And I think that's what everybody's believing. Like most people are on the same yeah. page. But uh, when I try to think of who who's that guy I'm going to have faith in that's going to fight an excellent first round and then somehow get caught by something silly in the second or it's the Jay third. Yeah, isn't it him? Like it's, it's, it's a spot that he's put me in before even the Andre Ewell fight, which I thought that was, that was maybe the worst card I've ever had in my life, by the way. I know I'm on a bad run right now. That card, <laughs> bad times. But it was like, he, he's moving forward on Ewell. He's out striking Ewell. It's just, it's a lot of just touch, touch, go. So what, what are the judges looking at? Are the judges looking at Ewell's actually sitting down on some of these punches? Or are they looking at one guy's landing the volume? For the record, in that card, I had Dominic Reyes. And I don't know, a lot of people think he won. doesn't really matter because he lost that night. Uh, Juan Adams got starched by Justin Toffa. Mursad Bektic did exactly what Mursad Bektic always does. Thank God Derek Lewis squeaked at Latifi. I don't know. This is a bad card. There was a lot of bad decisions on this card too. But all the same, whether you think Jonathan Martinez should have beat Andre Rule, which I did, it comes down to a style thing. What are the judges looking at? They're looking at the bigger punches. They're looking at the few kicks. So even if Martinez lands, oh man, big leg kick. Oh man, big leg kick. Oh man, look at those leg kicks. Oh, body kick. Oh, he's looking good. And you step in and you punch this guy one time in the head, big time. The judges tend to favor that. The last thing I want to mention is, is just the, that Alejandro Perez fight, right? Is that Jonathan Martinez outstruck Alejandro Perez in the first round 22 to 9. 22 to 9, okay? He more than doubles him up. But the last punch of the round is Perez hitting him while he's got one foot up and he falls off balance and two of the three judges scored the fight or the round for Perez off the one punch. Why? Because they don't really care about that flim-flam stuff. They're looking for actual concrete damage. Morales just could make this a closer fight. And if it is a close fight and it's going to be one of these type decision fights, he's plus 180, right? I think you could do worse as like a live underdog selection than Morales. But I'm struggling to pull the trigger myself. Of course, underdogs are going to come through. Lately, I've been picking underdogs. It's just the ones I pick don't come through. And the ones I fade do. This is a case where, like, I don't know that I'm going to pull the trigger on Morales, but I could easily see him going out there, getting his hand raised, costing me a bit of money. All right, we got Felipe Calares taking on Chase Hooper. Minus 170, Calares plus 150 for Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper, all the buzz is gone, buddy. I mean, here's the thing with Chase. It's like, I think he got signed to the UFC far too early. Far too early for what is healthy for his skill development. Like, he should be in, like, LFA right now um, working on his hands because 
he, I feel like he's going to get like his striking defense and the way he takes punches is just so aggressive um, that until he kind of works out those kinks, he shouldn't be fighting up at this level. That being said, it's like Kolaris has been very, very like um, in Kolaris's career. He was taken down six times by Geraldo De Freitas, 11 times by Montel Jackson. Montel Jackson's an absolute stud. Don't get me, don't get me wrong there. Um, he seems to like to grapple in his own right. It really, I think this fight comes down to who is going to have the more volume on the feet, who is going to have the better strikes. I'm struggling to get to Chase Hooper here, but... Uh, I mean, and if you're if you're Kolaris, is like he seems most comfortable when he gets into grappling from top position. But that's a really bad idea in this matchup. Um, I don't think I can put money on Chase Hooper, but I can cease the argument for plus one fifty being the value side. What's your take here, buddy? Yeah, like I almost feel like Hooper as the PRP pick, like the last one right at the bottom. But a lot of it's narrative. Like you're just you're hoping and you're wishing that maybe a year off has done him some good. He's maybe made some improvements. He's maybe matured. He's maybe got some better striking and some better cardio. He's maybe lifted some weights and put on a little muscle, but I, like, we don't really know for sure what I am like kind of looking at. Again, this is mostly narrative here is that the UFC signs this guy and he's way too young. So they, they signed him off the contender series at 18 years old, but they don't bring him to the UFC. They allowed him to fight on the regional scene with a UFC contract. So you bring him to the UFC and they're trying to build him up. They're trying to market him. He's got these little vignettes where him and Ben Askren are living together and it's his son and blah, blah, blah. They're, they're trying to market the kid. It's just he doesn't got the goods. Not only does he not get the goods, he's like five years away from potentially even seeing the goods. He's just so goddamn young that he's getting beat up, pillared to post by slippery Pete Barrett. Thank God he knee barred him or heel hooked him in the third round. It's like bad looks, you know? Bruce Leroy is at least very, very talented, so you can give him a pass there. But just has, hasn't been really looking all that good for Hooper. He's got an 18% takedown accuracy in the UFC. So if you can't get these guys down, you're in a world of shit because you can't strike, right? So what exactly are you going to do? The year off, though, could do him some good. So now he's coming back, and now I think for the UFC, they don't. I almost feel like they're trying to get him a good fight. They're trying to get him somebody that he could potentially beat. And Felipe Corrales, he's okay, right? But he's got a lot of flaws in his game. And in theory, this could be a winnable fight for Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper is six foot one, right? This Kolaris is five foot eight. So he's five inches taller than him with a five inch reach advantage. The reach advantage doesn't more so mean anything because you're not really going to outstrike him. But I think you could lean on him, right? Corrales' last couple of fights, he fought Chris Gutierrez at 135 pounds, right? He got smoked by Montel Jackson, taken down 11 times at 135 pounds. Even Geraldo Freitas, once upon a time, <clears throat> he's, he has fought at 45 for the record a few times, but he's not a big 45er. He's not even all that big as a 35er. I would think at five foot eight, he is going to be the noticeably smaller guy. And I think that even though Hooper can't wrestle, because he's going to have that much of a size advantage, he could lean on him, you know? He could get double underhooks, press him up against the cage, work for the back. You could just use that leverage to drag him to the ground. And if you're able to do that, maybe he makes it work for himself. We all like to shit on his wrestling, but think about it, right? He, His career best is three, which was his last fight against Steven Peterson. He looked actually a lot better against Steven Peterson than he looked against Pete Barrett. He looked a lot better than he did against Bruce Leroy. He seemingly was coming along, but he's just he's still 21 years old. Now they've given him a full year off 
full year off, develop, mature, come back, get those three takedowns. Because if you can establish positions on Corrales, I, I think he could just backpack them. I think he could just neutralize them. I think he could just end up on top and just be the bigger guy, right? I think he could do that. But if the fight stays standing for whatever reason, Corrales is going to zombie him because that's what he does. Hands down, comes forward, and just bombs on you. The thing with that style is that it's a little bit reckless, and it's easy to get a takedown on a guy that's just moving forward like that and being reckless. So I, I think Hooper could actually be live, but anything that makes you like Hooper is all just what if, what if. We haven't seen enough. What we have seen is he's under, like not undersized. He's a big guy, like a uh, big frame, but just no strength. He's got like little spaghetti arms on him, right? No strength, no real wrestling, no striking, cardio lackluster, but the kid's got a hell of a heart. You got to give him that. He ain't no quitter. And if he's got good work ethic, he lives a clean lifestyle, stays in the gym the year off, the difference between 21 and 22, get him down and backpack him. I think there's a path of victory for Hooper, but he wouldn't be nothing more confident than the lowest the lowest guy on the ticket. And finally, we've got Elise Reed taking on Sam Page. Sam Hughes, uh, minus 165 Reed, plus 145 for Sam Page. Sam Page coming off of a win. Wasn't sure that she was ever going to get a win in the UFC, but good on her. Um, who do you got in this one, buddy? Yeah, so this one to me seems straightforward, but of course nothing is. And I don't know. I don't know. It's got it's got my uh, my confidence. Shift, I, like but, yeah, Reed, I like where your head's at. I like where your head's at on this card, buddy. Her. I like where your yeah, head's at this I, time around. I think you're going to be good. Yeah. That being said, I've been taking care of a puppy and haven't done all of my due diligence. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's how I feel about Sam Hughes, right? So, of course, uh, Tisha Torres has never finished. Uh, she never knocked out an opponent in her entire career. Sam Hughes doesn't really want to be there. Her coaches don't really want to be, her to be there. Uh, striking was the issue in that fight. The Loma Lukabume fight, striking, grappling, it's all an issue. I want to focus on the Estella Nunes, just the last fight for her, right? Mm-hmm. In the first round, she's getting styled on. Estella Nunes is all over her. She's sitting down on her shots. She's touching her up. She's moving, kicks her on point, punches her on point. Sam Hughes effectively doesn't throw any offense. She just moves straight forward, no footwork, not cutting off the cage, and gets touched up the whole round. It's a very bad round. The second round, her, her corner's yelling at her, like, you got to do something. You got to do something. So she comes forward, and all of a sudden, she's just trying to be more aggressive. But Estella Nunez's cardio falls right off a cliff. She right gasses out. Oh, 100%. So Hughes simply moving forward all of a sudden becomes enough, right? Yep. Because now she's trying to land her shots. Now in the third round, it, this is 1-1. Who wants it more? Well, Hughes has got a tank full of gas, and Nunez is running on fumes. So she's able to back her up in that fight. She's able to put some pressure on. She's able to fish a few takedowns, but she's not known for her wrestling. She's not really known for anything. She just happened to be in better physical shape. So when I think about Elise Reed, it's like Elise Reed does many of the same things as Estella Nunez in that she primarily relies on her kicking game from range, staying to the outside. She's an excellent kicker. She moves very well, very good footwork. Moves her cardio a is a lot better. Fast. And her cardio is actually legit. So mm-hmm. I think she will just keep touching Sam Hughes at range. She'll keep touching Sam Hughes at range. And whereas the last time Hughes is moving forward and causing her opponent to move off her back foot, tired her out, I don't think that happens to Reed. Reed really, you look at her career, the Jasmine Jesse Davidius fight, I thought Jasmine won. Jasmine is a top talent, very, very talented. But Reed's in it, stuffs takedowns, lands good shots. It's more so you make a debut in the UFC 
up a weight class. Okay, she moved up to 100. She moved up to 125 to take on a girl that struggles to make 135. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a tough matchup. So you lose undefeated record. You're still really young. It's a savvy Ultimate Fighter contestant. Was favored to win the show. Is large. Lloyd Irvin black belt just a bad matchup, but that Corey McKenna fight was the real eye opener. Like I like Corey McKenna, but Reed did an excellent job of just landing all the good shots, staying to the outside, staying long. McKenna should have tried to mix in the wrestling a lot more, but even when she did, McKenna or um, Elise Reed clearly at a better weight class is going to have a slightly better ground game. Her, her strength's a little bit better at this class, and I think her she uses it against Sam Hughes. Stay to the outside, stay off your back foot out pointer if she clinches up with you stop the takedowns work your way back out rinse and repeat do the same thing hughes didn't have enough offense when she was marching forward until her opponent tired out if reed doesn't tire out we'll be up two rounds by the time it even matters and even if even if elise reed for whatever reason was to gas out but but we can bank those first two rounds i just don't see sam hughes finishing anybody She, she might win the round she might win the round but if she's down two going into the third we got this thing wrapped up right what I would hope. Women's MMA, what can you do? So uh, I, I actually don't mind Elise Reed and minus 165. Like, okay. I like there's some, there's some other fights on this card. I am way more on the fence about that have worse price tags. So I'm willing to give it a shot. And of course it's the first fight on the card. So if the train went off the rail that early, at least you got some time to repair. You can rebuild, rebuild and move forward. I mean, W women's MMA, but I think a lot of what you said, Makes sense. So I haven't made any bets yet, but what I am looking at, I like the the home, the late home props. Uh, I'm gonna watch the way and see if Vieira either even like struggles a bit. I'm like such a degen that I'll probably end up with the home late props regardless because they're just so juicy and I love hitting like a thirty to one ticket. There's nothing that makes you feel more alive than that. Pereira by KO plus three fifty. That's gonna get some of my money. Tabitha Ricci. Uh, the money line minus 125 has my attention because I think with who she trains with, everything like that, I think she's the side. She can keep this fight standing. I think she's got better stand up. The cardio is a bit of a concern down the stretch, but just don't get subbed. Don't get subbed. You should have the tools to get the job done in this fight. And eh, Parker Porter, I'm going to have to wait for weigh-ins for that too. I want to see like if Jailton comes in at like, 210 pounds or something like that's just what his normal walk around weight is parker porter plus 1400 by decision could be muy picante extra spicy for those who don't speak spanish um <laughs> that is kind of where my head is at at paul shag on twitter i will uh, post my final picks on saturday afternoon without further ado cody hit him with the prp this week, we're going a little favorite heavy, but we're going Holly Holm, Michelle Pereira, Chidi Njikwani, Tabitha Ricci, Jung Young Park, Joseph Holmes, Delta Almeida, Omar Morales, uh, Jonathan Martinez, as of right now, uh, Chase Hooper, dog number one, and then Elise Reed. And yeah, Hooper's right at the bottom. So like, not loving it on that side of things. But honestly, Holly Holm, I think I think she honestly gets the job done. You can pass on that co-made event. Chidi looks good. Ricci looks good. Park looks good. Holmes actually looks low-key good. Morales looks good. Uh, Omar, Vince maybe, but I mean, Omar, safe enough. And then Elise Reed. So, like, if, I know it's an 11 fight card. You could pair it down to the five or six that you actually do like, and that's going to be the basis of our top two tickets. We can get beyond that. There's the um, Eagle FC this week, too, that you can get involved in. 
Yeah, I like the Eagle FC card, but it's it looks like pretty squash city. But the last one was squash city and went almost perfect. In fact, it did go perfect. The only thing is Rayborg should have lost, but they gave him the decision. So like it should have been a bad night, but Eagle FC knows what they're doing. So I'm interested. The only, how, only one thing there cute. is that, that minus fifteen hundred Russian. I don't know if I trust it. Like, I just, uh, I don't know if I'd want to bet a Russian. Mm-hmm. Islam Mamadov versus in Florida. Zach Zane. He's the Hawaiian guy who's fought on Bellator, right? Mamadov should absolutely wreck him. But you know what I'm saying. We've we've been in this game long enough. That, like, those minus 1500s do nothing for you. And uh, it's a Russian guy for a Russian promotion in the United <laughs> States with a live betting audience. So you know what I think is the cutest thing about this card is that, remember when Habib fought Daryl Horcher back in the day? Habib's yeah, taking yeah. care of all of his old buddies. Thank you, Daryl Horcher, for taking this fight. Like when, you know, he was a massive underdog in that spot. And Habib absolutely smashed him. We've taken care. I mean, this card, this Eagle FC card is pretty solid. Considering what? They're a fourth, fifth promotion in terms of like North America. Like, I think they're doing pretty good. I'm biased as like the biggest Habib nut, nut hugger on earth. Don't get me wrong, but. I feel like they're putting some decent... Uh, can this Paulo Silva guy? I have no idea who he is, but he's fighting Sean Sorg. Can he, can Paulo Silva grapple? I mean, his last name's Silva. I'm going to look up, up yeah, his name right yeah. now. Well, because Sean Soriano, Sean Soriano just gets subbed by everybody. So what's, what is interestingly... Let's see here. I'm just figuring out who Paulo Silva is right now. Yeah, he's not particularly good. He's six and six. <laughs> okay, six and six, and oh, he fought. He fought uh, my boy Max Roshkoff and got Anaconda choked in round one last time out. Uh, so yeah, not a great look. I mean, Max no, Roshkoff Max. is 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 the truth. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, there's no submission wins on this record. And he got submitted obviously last time out. They're trying to build up Sean Seriano, who is an excellent kickboxer, can't grapple for shit. Um, you, know, but yeah. you know the one that I've got my eye on? What's is, that? Uh, is you were saying he was hooking up his old opponent, Daryl Horcher. So Sean Bunch, okay? So Sean Bunch was yeah. one of the wrestling coaches I remember at him. AKA, and him and, him and Habib are actually very, very close. I saw him on the last Eagle, Eagle FC. I- the last Bingo. Eagle FC so, card. So his career, he's 39. He fans out of Bellator. He lost to Keith Lee and Leandro Higo. There was no spot for him. And then and then I didn't even know he was interested in fighting. And I was like, hey, come on, this Eagle card. I was like, okay, I, I have a look at him. I said, I just don't know if Sean Bunch is in it anymore. He wrecked that guy, dude. It was such a tailor-made matchup. He wrecked him. Now, that guy was actually a replacement for Adi Alic, who pulled out due to COVID. And mm-hmm. all they did was actually just rebook this fight, <laughs> that fight, onto this one. Bunch is currently sitting at minus 188. And uh, he's a world-class wrestler, man. I mean, he the is, guy yeah. tried out for the Olympian, uh, the Olympic team. He was Daniel Cormier, Kane Velasquez, his wrestling coach at AKA. And him and Habib are very close, right? So That's a playable I, I, line. I see the... Yeah, it's a playable line, and I see the narrative there. It's like, oh, it's my buddy. I'm gonna get him a quick little uh, fight on the undercard. Sure, these guys get paid. He's booked a lot of these. A lot of these guys are actually uh, managed by Ali, or they're friends of Habib. So the card makes a lot of sense in that regard. But even though uh, Junior DeSantos should win, it's just he's at an untrustworthy point of his career. Hector Lombard and Tiago Silva. Hector should kill him. 
they're both at untrustworthy points of their career. Mackie Patolo. <laughs> what? What's that I smell? He should never have been. He should never. Apple pie. He should never have been anywhere, anywhere near that pie, though. Right, right, and you know who else should? It's an apple pie, not a pie? coconut pie, not coconut I know, bombs. I know, but who, would you rather have an El Durte pie? Because I'm telling you, you don't want Andrew Sanchez on the parlays, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> so, where is so Andrew? Like, where is Andrew Sanchez? Ronnie, Ronnie Honey Marquez is also on the card for the record. Roosevelt Roberts, Sean Soriano. Who are you gonna trust? Oh, Bob? Andrew who Sanchez. He got released. Yeah, Alderte. so he just got he got released. I didn't know that he even got released. I didn't know that he was on this card. Yeah, and he's fighting up at two oh five. But Checo, he couldn't make this. He's taking on he well, he's taking Checo, and Checo's not a striker though. Checo's a bum. I would think Sanchez. Checo's a Checo's a grappler. Should have Sanchez. Yeah, Sanchez and should win all the time. The, the way you beat Sanchez is you knock him out, and if Checo doesn't have fight ending ability, and Sanchez has the better wrestling. Air, I mean, minus, oh, sorry, minus 800, never mind, <laughs> that's, I thought, I thought we were, I thought we were talking about something totally different than minus 800, yeah, no, I mean, you can't touch that shit, you can't touch that, that's insane. No, it's, it's yeah, it's because Checo is coming off a loss to 42-year-old Rashad Evans, who hadn't fought in like eight years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's all the way shot to bits, it's a comical card. It's a co- I got limit on it. Like the last one, I tried to bomb it out because that was during the midst of the hot streak, right? Uh, they, they like they know what's up. They will limit you in a lot of spots, but if you can use certain pieces for filler for some UFC stuff, yeah, by all means, I think it could be good. I mean, uh, Thiago Silva hasn't fought since 2019. Hector Lombard's been doing the bare knuckle boxing. He's that's yeah, a that's a pick that Heck him. Heck fight. Hector should Hector Hector should kill him, shouldn't he? I, I would think so. The problem is, is like, he gasses, of course. Yeah, but yeah. like, what version of well, Tiago Tiago right? Silva was always a wild card at at the best of times. Now he hasn't fought in three years. What are we really expecting from him when he shows up? You know what? His chin does hold. What he hasn't been knocked out since 2017 against Batraz Agnaev. Who the fuck? Who's that guy? No, this he he he's all the way shot, dude. His chin is all the way shot. His losses before that are Marcus Marcus and Teddy Holder, who have never made it anywhere with their careers. I'm missing something. Hector seems like Hector seems like a play here, man. I don't I don't understand. Hector Hector. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't see. I don't see the the argument otherwise. I'll tell you the argument otherwise, right? You want to hear it? Yeah. You want to hear it? Okay. Okay. Hector's is is like is. eighty years old. Uh, well, yeah, Hector's really old, so you know that he's not really trustworthy to begin with, right? But uh, but okay. So if you look at Thiago Silva, the best I ever seen him look in his entire career, he was playing the goddamn tambourine off Bri- or Brandon Vera's head. He looks so good, and then he tested positive for roids, right? And then, then he fought Stanislav Nedkov, put a beating on him, and then tested positive for roids. So when he's juiced up, he's actually a serious problem. When he's not juiced up, he's terrible. Like Teddy Holder was a very much regional guy, never fought anybody, never made it to any levels. And he was a colossal favorite over Teddy Holder. He got knocked down in the first round. Marcus Sursa is a fat bum who's best known for di- dating Brittany Palmer, which is a pretty big win. That's a big win. I will win. give him that. Top a very big win. Uh, Aaron Waters show would uh, would kill to be in those shoes. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I can't hate on on Sursa too bad. And he, like, he fought a bunch of guys, whatever. But he got knocked out by Marcus Sursa. I was like, oh, shit, dude. Like, it, it's all the way done for you. It's all the way done. And then, yeah, he just bounced around. When he fights on these, like, strange-ass promotions in Brazil or whatnot, sometimes he shows up in real good shape, looks decent. Uh, sometimes he fights a guy like uh, Ivan Shichikov, who's just got way more juice in the, in the na- vein than he does and he loses those ones he's uh, again a very hit and miss guy so he's been out for three years maybe he's got his life together remember he got released from the ufc pulled a gun on his wife like mm-hmm. the guy's had a lot of uh issues oh, he's yeah. had a lot of like mental problems here and there but there was a time where he was like really talented it's just them days is gone he's 39 three years off hasn't taken any damage this card i believe it's in florida probably lowly regulated maybe he's gonna show up in really good shape and with hector you just never know to show you what level Hector is at, his uh, he fights Joe Riggs just two fights back, bare knuckle boxing. Right, the first round he kills Joe Riggs. The second, the two minute rounds. The second round he beats up Joe Riggs. The third round he's gassed. Yeah. And he's getting beat up. He's going to lose that fight. Then he grabs Joe Riggs' shorts, and Joe Riggs puts his hands out to be like, "Hey man, he's grabbing my shorts." And he blasts <laughs> Riggs, man, like holy shit. So Riggs can't see out of one eye to begin with. And now he really can't see out of one eye, so they waved it off. But you, you see the problem with Hector is that he's not built for five-minute MMA rounds. He just, he's just he got way too much muscle on him. Yes. And uncle boxing is two-minute rounds, so he can get by with it in two-minute rounds. My worry would be that he throws Tiago Silva on his head for the first couple round, or for the first round. Second, he's huffing and puffing. And even a very mid-level talent can beat a guy that's just completely exhausted. So it's a red – yeah, I think we probably end up settling with Hector as the pick. It's a red flag play, though, right? And I don't think you'd want it yeah, high don't. up on your list of investments. Yeah, it's, I'm a parlay it's fr- guy, so it's I got to do what do I want to parlay? Straight picks. You're having some fun. You're, it's free. It's Friday night. Years. Yeah, it's Friday night fun. Don't put yeah, your don't put your here. don't put your mortgage on 44 year old Hector Lombard. Don't get me wrong yeah. about that. But yeah, I will I say, if we're in Florida, it's a bit of a greasy kind of promotion. Little bit of craziness and stuff like that. I want the guy who's willing to cheat to win, and that's Hector Lombard. So there's Hector case Lombard in point is for definitely me. Definitely willing to cheat to win. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right, dude. All right. Um, I, I hear you, man. Let's uh, let's roll with it. And hope for the best. Yes, sir. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.